Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Conjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Today on The Grower and the Economist, we're going to be talking about the size of operations and different types of operations. So we've talked about greenhouse, field, and indoor agriculture before. Today, we're going to dive into those a little bit more and also talk about the size of the operation. Uh, With this week, the GPN uh, 100 Top Growers came out, which is really focused on size. Uh, And there's a constant push to be bigger. And we want to dive into and really discuss if it's possible to have a successful greenhouse or farming operation that is not focused on being as big as possible. Michelle, that you you uh, hit a nerve with me. A, a career question that that I ask is why can't a an agricultural establishment remain small and be successful? And my personal experience that you and I have we've shared over earlier episodes, having grown up on a small family farm here in New England, and and uh, helping run a a, a 50-year greenhouse and garden center operation um, that certainly grew over the years, but uh, finally succumbed to the pressure of big box retailing and and, uh, Home Depot, Walmart, Lowe's, et cetera, uh, kind of taking over the space of of garden centers. Uh, It's it's a question that that, um, bothers me because uh, over my decades of, of contribution and activity in agriculture, I, I'm a little frustrated because to me, the answer seems to be it is really difficult to stay small and successful. So as you and I developed our relationship and uh, it didn't take long for me to sense that your background in economics could be very valuable because I know I'm not alone in thinking what I'm thinking, and I know there are many other small farmers and small greenhouse operators around the country that that are posed with faced with this 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 situation. And and while many many of them many of us love getting bigger in size, we we love business booming and and building more greenhouses and and increasing acreage. It's at some point. Uh, we're faced with this this question, oh, do I take the next step? And I think referencing or the timeliness of, of Greenhouse Grower Magazine's top 100 greenhouse and nursery operations kind of fits right into uh, your introduction and what we're doing. Um, so when, when you're ready, I'll give a few statistics on on that that article about greenhouse operations. And then I'd, I'd like to expand it and, and uh, talk, uh, handle greenhouses as one part of our discussion and then field farming as another part and perhaps categorize what you and I might think of as small, medium, and large size operation. So how would you like to proceed? I think that getting some of those definitions and discussions, points, delineations that I'm sure we're going to keep using in future episodes um, is a great place to start. 
Also, when you get into statistics, we just have to remember that we don't know where our audience is. So um, we can post all of the statistics afterward in the show notes uh, so that people have it. But we are always cognizant to not throw too many numbers at you in case you're driving. Perfect. Perfect. So let me let me throw out just uh, several numbers to, to frame the discussion. Our top 100 greenhouse nursery operations, uh, the, the largest operation is in California and includes 600 acres undercover. So undercover is considered controlled environment agriculture. This would be a greenhouse structure where we, we have some control over mother nature. It's interesting that the difference between the top, the number one and number two grower, the second grower is in Florida and has about half of that acreage, 350 acres. So the top grower is, is quite large. And then the third grower, Michelle, is down to 200 acres, and that grower is located in New York. So the top three growers are geographically in different areas, which indicates the greenhouse industry is, is a pretty diverse industry. And, and I, I think that's, that's encouraging. Um, and then the, we drop down to the 50th grower having only 33 acres, and the 100th grower is 12 acres. So you, you can see there that it's really top heavy. There's there are just a few growers that are really large. And the, the article cites that uh, the top 100 growers account for 26% of the national square footage or acreage. So it doesn't sound like there's a lot of consolidation then in this space, you know, with only 26%. So going back for a second, from an economics point of view, when we're looking at market concentration, we really want to see what percentage the top four to eight um, entities have, how much control of the market they have. So if you think about sodas, you know, Coke and Pepsi have a huge percentage. Um, and so that would be a very concentrated. Another one that's nearly 100% is tennis balls or tennis rackets. Um, so with these top 100 greenhouse growers having only 26% of the market share, it sounds like there's not a huge amount of consolidation with it. And so I wonder, is that a factor of greenhouse growing or is greenhouse, do you know, a really small part of total outdoor growing? So your, your comment earlier about um, the industry perhaps being not too consolidated or over-consolidated. Let me give you the opposite side of that, Michelle. Most of us can reference back to the Great Recession of about a decade or so ago. And as, as that recession was settling in, in round numbers, we had about 10,000 greenhouse operations in the United States. Coming out of the recession and since, largely a result of the consolidation and, and merger side of business that you're referencing, we went from 10,000 down to 6,000. So on, on one level, as a, 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 an a economist on the outside looking in at greenhouses, you're saying, okay, it looks diverse and it looks um, like it's not overly consolidated. Uh, it, historically, we're, we're kind of consolidating. So perhaps you have some comments on 
industry maturity and, you know, life cycles of industries that, that might feather in here to help explain what's going on? Well, one, I think that those numbers, the 6,000 post-recession and 100,000, or sorry, 10,000 pre-recession um, are considerable. And I think that that, again, shows that these top 100 growers are really just a small piece of the pie. I think where we sit today, the biggest question would be for me on this, you know, getting bigger is with a, you know, potential recession or even, unfortunately, a potential depression in our future, um, will there be a lot more consolidation and how will growers adapt? And in general, I would argue, yes, that there is likely to be a consolidation moving forward. Uh, those that are in a stronger position are able to weather the financial uncertainty of the coming months. Um, the only reason that I think that we might see a divergence this time is because the recession or depression was caused by human health problem. And we've talked about before that when there are health concerns, people switch to um, food that they feel is healthier, it's local, it's fresher, it's all of these characteristics and they, they are scared for their health and they want to eat better. So if we see that demand shift to more products that people want to eat from smaller farms in their areas and not being shipped across the country, this could be a really good opportunity for smaller growers that are in a place and they're able to maintain the relationships with their customers because it is a smaller, more personal transaction. So on some level, I think that there is possibly a opportunity here for more growers to actually um, exist post recession than in the past. Um, but it's so early, it's hard to say. Well, what, what a perfect segue. I, I have so many friends running, owning greenhouse operations around the country, Michelle, many of whom have grown their businesses and, um, you know, qualify as successes in that they you know, they're, they're, they started out at this size and now they're so much bigger. And you know, a comment I hear from, from some of them, Michelle, is um, I miss the days when I was in the greenhouse growing the crops. And, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. There's, it's, it's not always just the revenue and the money. There's um, that, that part that pulls so many of us into agriculture, that, that love of working, the field or growing crops in the greenhouse or most recently our indoor vertical farmers. It's, it's that, that love, that passion of growing plants. And I, I've felt that my business never got so big that I wasn't the one in the trenches. And I, and I'm that that's part of why I, I pose this question to you as an economist. Why why can't I stay small and be successful? I I love growing crops, but the economic pressures are so that that you know I I I, I want to make my living, but um, you know 
the big box stores are putting such pressure on me. How, how can I deal with this so that I can continue to do what I love doing? And I think you and I are finding that part of this answer is small growers banding together and forming collaboratives. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Now, here are, here's, here's one um, uh, characteristic that we find in small growers, Michelle, and, and, uh, and you're going to have comments on this. Too often, when we go through cost accounting and, and seminars and courses teaching small growers how to cost out and, and price and you know market products, too often we have a small greenhouse owner or a small farmer. Um, when we say, what is your salary? Their answer is, I don't take one. And I'm going to stop right there and let you jump in because I'm sure you you hear this and are aware of it. We need to teach them that their time needs to be accounted for. So please re, re, respond to that. I don't think that it's a surprise. I think that um, as business owners, right, we want to see... We all have businesses so that we can make money. And obviously we need money, you know, to support our lives. However, you know, when you think about yourself and your salary, it, you're the last one that gets paid. Um, and so really, I think it's a struggle if there's no money left at the end in order to um, to take that money out of the business, right? Because it doesn't exist. And so unfortunately, that sort of, you know, leads to your question of why do you have to be bigger? Well, if you're not selling enough to cover your costs and pay yourself, then the logical answer would be to stop spending your time here and that the opportunity cost of your time is more valuable somewhere else. You could make more money uh, in another job. And so therefore, it doesn't make sense to farm. But I think as you pointed out, that it's this love of growing that draws people into agriculture. So they either want to keep doing it. They are a multi-generation, like they are the nth generation farmer. So there's a pride in doing it. Or there's so many fixed costs, especially in a greenhouse operation, that they have to keep going in order to cover their fixed costs. So it might be that there's not an option there to really change plans because they have so many assets that or liabilities that they need to pay off. Michelle, talking about overhead, fixed costs, variable costs, and, and I think that's a, a conversation to dig more deeply in in the future for, for episodes uh, that, that we create. Um, the a, a, Another comment on, let's say a small farm that decides to put up a greenhouse, right? So this standard 30 by 100, this 3,000 square feet of greenhouse, and the justification is to sow seeds and, and generate the units, the farms, transplants. So be they uh, tomatoes, peppers, you know, uh, eggplant, plants that need to be sown early in the, in, in the spring in a, a, a protected environment, rather than buying them in. So, so one of the uh, justifications for putting up the greenhouse is, well, um, I could produce the transplants cheaper here rather than buying them in. 
Another reason or justification is uh, I can do a better job and produce a higher quality transplant here rather than buying them in. So, so that might that works, and the farm is operating nicely. But then we have this greenhouse that's sitting idle for nine months of the year, and it's only used from March through May to produce the tomato and pepper transplants. So then, a, a logical um, uh, expansion for this grower becomes growing some ornamental crops and diversifying in that at that level um, to selling some bedding plants and geraniums uh, while he or she is producing the tomato transplants for the fields. And then the greenhouse might be used uh, in that case from January, February through May and June. Uh, and then the, the next uh, progression is, well, what am I doing with this greenhouse the fall months of the year? So I might grow poinsettias. And you can see where all of these things um, come into play and along the way, that that person that has the one greenhouse and might be working at an outside job, as we start capitalizing on the technology and the controlled environment, you can see where progressing and you know putting up a second or third greenhouse allows enough opportunity for revenue for that person to come to the farm and make it his or her um, livelihood. Um, I'm going to then cap um, the discussion on size of greenhouse operation. Um, this, this part of the discussion as follows. Uh, I cited my, my family's operation as being about an acre and a half. And for me, the category of medium size greenhouse is one to three acres. So we were smack in the middle there of a medium size operation. So the question I have or the observation I have for you to comment on, Michelle, is, is this. As we were um, struggling and finally decided to close the operation down, my observation became, well, we ended up too big to be small and too small to be big. And I, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that comment from an economics perspective. I think that that's a hard place to be. And I think that that's a place where a lot of businesses get. Um, as you mentioned in your example, right? You build this greenhouse and then you have to keep expanding into more different crops and you have to increase your expertise and you might have to increase your uh, equipment you need. You might need to increase your um, vendor relations. And so all of those pieces are gonna take more time. Uh, and it's going to prevent you from being in other places. So as you, you're unable to work um, off the farm. So the more you invest and the more you grow, the more time it takes, the more infrastructure it takes. Um, and you have to, you're going to hit a barrier, right? You have grown all that you can grow in the current greenhouses. To get to the next level, you have to build another greenhouse or you have to buy another piece of equipment. You might have to have your own delivery truck, whatever it is, but there's going to be those ceilings. And then it's a huge investment to get to the next one, um, which is difficult for small growers to come up with the capital to get there. So I think that there are very neat places that that businesses cap and you have to get over it. 
the reason to get over it and the reason to grow is because you get efficiencies of scale, right? So if you did man, if you did purchase a piece of equipment, it would probably, or will hopefully be more efficient and drive down costs over labor, but you need to have enough um, you need to be using the machine enough, just like you're using the greenhouses enough to pay for itself. Um, and so you get efficiencies of scale when you can divide your fixed cost over more units. Um, I think that the other reason that it's hard to stay small is people become a victim of their own success. So if you were, you know, if you did have a farmer's market stand or if you had a CSA, uh, before coronavirus, and now your wait list is 200 people long, right? So you have a product that you were able to sell, you were able to market, you were able to get the profit margin that you wanted, and now there's so much demand for your product that your customers are pulling you deeper into the operation and forcing you to get bigger. Uh, so on the cost side, it is the... Um, distributing your fixed costs, finding efficiencies, maybe it's cheaper, you know, maybe you're finally big enough that you do want to have your own truck to do deliveries and you save money on having the truck. You save money on outsourcing it, but you have grown your operation. So it, on the cost side, being bigger helps you drop your costs down, which is important, especially if you're trying to, you know, make money. And on the um, sales side, if you're doing a great job and people love your product, there's going to be more demand for your product, which will encourage you to get bigger. That's all cool stuff. And Michelle, I, I, I want to make a comment. So I'm, I, I don't want to paint myself as being anti, anti growth. You know, you know, we, we, I spent many years where it was so exciting to sell out in the spring and look at my dad and say, okay, it's time to build another greenhouse. And, and, and they were such exciting years for us. So I, I don't want to come across as, as sounding like you don't want to grow. And, but I think what I want to, the point I try to make is um, when you get to that too big to be small, too small to be big. And by the way, I think you helped explain for me um, why my operation ended up being too, too small to be big uh, because we weren't large enough to take advantage of economies of scale and, you know, would not be able, would have been able to compete in the, the wholesale arena be, because our costs were too high. So thank you for that. Um, but I, 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 uh, I want to find that sweet spot for growers and help define it for them so that um, when they get to a point where, the next greenhouse or the next next acres of a field that they put into cultivation require them to uh, settle in the office. If they don't want to do that, I want them to have an option of not having to do that, if, it, if that makes sense. It does. I often try to help uh, boost confidence in our small growers. And the following observation that I have will help them feel confident in what they're doing. In my experience, the line items on the budget of a small growing operation 
those line items are exactly the same line items as a large grower. So we all have the same line items, and I describe the difference between small and large operations as follows. The large operations have more zeros after the numbers, but we all have exactly the same line items in, in, in the budgets. How do you, how do you, how, what's your experience tell you? That makes sense for sure, right? Because you're fundamentally looking at operations that are the same, right? Everybody needs the same inputs. And, you know, insurances and buildings and stuff. And I just wonder when you're at different sizes, is it not just the number of zeros, but sort of if you dug into those line items, would it be different? So, um, you know, would it be like I mentioned where you sell at the farm and, you know, somebody else is doing the delivery versus you owning a truck? Um, or is it, you know, um, having employees versus on those small operations, it might just be yourself. Um, so while it's still a labor charge, it looks a little bit different because you're paying different people. Um, you might have, you know, different legal expenses as you get larger or, um, marketing expenses as you get larger. So I think broadly, right. Business, all of these businesses are the same. I just wonder if, they have the same headlines, different number of zeros, and maybe some different subcategories. Good point. Thank you. And, um, and a reason, Michelle, that I, I go here in a conversation like this is to help fellow growers who are in the small category feel confident um, communicating, interacting with, contributing to their industries as their larger counterparts. So I can say that over my career, I've had the opportunity to sit at the same committee tables with some of these top 100 growers and being a small grower myself, having always had the confidence to discuss things with them and um, agree or disagree with them with confidence knowing that I'm running a business just like they are, but again, they just have more zeros after their numbers. So, so your insight adds a little of that reality. There, there is some difference between the two um, budgets and, and categories, as you're saying. Um, so let me, let me go now to the um, outdoor farm and some categories there and, and see how these sound to you. And it's a lot more difficult on, on the field farming, the outdoor farm, Michelle, to, to come up with categories because they're, they're, there's so much variability in, in how a farm operates. Um, for instance, most, most field farmers, a portion of their acreage is fallow or, in other words, under cover crops to replenish uh, the soil and maintain soil health. When we talk about an organic operation versus a traditional operation, the proportion of the acreage that's not being cropped or harvested can be higher because organic principles uh, take advantage of nature to help replenish the soil and maintain its health. So uh, it's, it's dangerous to try and come up with categories as I did for greenhouses on the outdoor 
farm. Given that, here, here is my category list, and I'd like input or experience of yours to help um, develop this. Uh, I'm going to categorize a small farm as being under 30 acres, a medium farm as being 30 to 50, and a large farm being higher than 50. So depending on where in the country someone's listening to this, again, going back to our original comments, if it's a farmer in the Dakotas uh, or Kansas, um, they're looking at this saying, okay, Peter, 50 acres is, uh, you know, my uh, eight to nine o'clock in the morning field that I work. And, you know, I'm dealing with hundreds or thousands of acres. So, so it's dangerous. I, I think we, we're kind of in agreement that most of our discussion is about vegetable farming. So that's, that's why I've, I've kind of um, defined it this way, 30 acres under, 30 to 50, and plus 50. So please comment. That makes sense to me. Um, I Sorry, I really don't know how the vegetable acreage breaks down um, according to size, but since you have um, worked operations before, it sounds like that would make sense to me. Okay. And and again, those acreages, that's, that's total acreage of the farm. That's not the... Um, End of production. Correct. So, so then let's, let's get to that, that part that you brought up at the top of the conversation. Is it the number of employees? Is that the reflector of the intensive or extensive part of this conversation? So just to, to kind of kick that off a little bit, I'm going to categorize a small agricultural operation. And again, this, this is crossing over greenhouse or field farming. I'll, I'd say a small operation for me is one where the owner slash family members are enough to run that operation. And then a medium-sized agricultural operation is the owner slash family members plus some employees, I'm going to say up to 10 employees. And then once we get the family plus more than 10 employees, I think we're into that, that scale of a, a large operation. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think employees are a good distinguisher. I wonder how this is going to evolve over time. I think that pricing obviously puts pressure on automation, but I do think that coronavirus is going to add another element of why we want more automation on a farm and less people. Absolutely. And and you know, Michelle, I again I I'm not I'm not anti-technology and automation. Um, I can remember when uh, in our greenhouse operation, when we graduated from uh, mixing our potting soil with a tractor, a front end loader on a hot top pad, and then putting it in an old dump truck to steam pasteurize it. When, when we graduated from that level to purchasing or investing in professional commercial size soil mixing and, and handling equipment, uh, our lives became so much easier. We were freed up to build more greenhouses. So, so the, the automation is certainly key to any size operation. And I think as technology advances, it, it makes automation more available to the small operators 
uh, as the technology filters down and trickles down to that the scale that they operate at. So we've talked a lot about why operations get bigger over time and why they're forced to, but I'm wondering if there are special advantages that smaller growers have, whether it is, um, I'll just leave it at that. What are some of the advantages that smaller growers have and why is it important that we, why did you try to stay small? Great question. What, why, why am I questioning, you know, why success is in growth? Um, I think Michelle is, is partly um, that um, comment that I shared that fellow growers, friends of mine who have grown their businesses miss um, growing crops. So I'd like to find a way that allows a farmer, the, the, the person that loves growing plants and is passionate about it, to, to serve in that capacity in his or her business and still be successful. Now, perhaps that means hiring a CEO. I don't, I don't know. You know, that's, that's a topic for another day. But being able to uh, follow one's dream, part of my answer to you, Michelle, and, and I think the reason I'm hesitating a little bit is I, there's a generational uh, gap here. And I'm, I'm comparing myself in my 60s to you and your generation of, of our young farmers in their 30s and younger, in, in my day, over my career, um, there was not a lot of collaboration between and among farmers. It was a little more of a closed door environment where, uh, okay, I don't want you learning my secrets, so I need to kind of close the door and keep the shop under my control. Whereas today, I see much more of a, a, a willingness to collaborate, work together between operations. And I think that's key to answering today's question. Can I stay small and be successful? I think in today's environment with your generation being so open-armed, it's going to help us answer the question affirmatively and say, by working together, by banding together, you've mentioned it uh, earlier, by sharing equipment or tractors, by uh, buying a delivery truck amongst all of us. Those are the things that are going to help uh, answer the question of today's uh, discussion affirmatively. It's sort of interesting. It sounds like that we've started to find this middle ground where we can be small operations, yet as a cooperative, we can have a large impact. Perfect. And, and Michelle, cooper cooperatives, co-ops have been around for generations. I'm not saying that, you know, no one participated in the past, but I'm, I'm simply trying to add a little um, context to and, and history to the conversation, and um, I think you're helping me understand my feelings and emotions better coming from the economic uh, angle of things. Well, I think that's what makes us a great team. So this conversation really covered a lot of ground. I think that 
you know, it points out what small growers are, give, gave an overview of what the greenhouse industry looks like. Um, and I think the different listeners can now figure out a little bit where they want to be, not just growing or staying the same size um, because that's where they are or that's where they think they should go. But understanding that, you know, you do have more zeros or less zeros uh, and that there's, you know, different pressures at each one, right? If there are challenges to being a small grower and potentially not making money and there are challenges of being a large grower and having, uh, you know, a ton of fixed costs that you have to cover. Well, thank you. And until next time, signing off from the Grower and the Economist. Mm-hmm.